You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Last week, I talked to you guys about 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And we talked about how, how um, our knowledge of him could be, could be described as, if I can find it here, like the, the word through means it's kind of a conductive word, meaning that his divine power squeezes everything we need for life and godliness through our limited knowledge of him and how sometimes we could start off like, like this straw. And I talked about how if Dr. Joseph Paul Kirkendall III were to go and teach at a kindergarten class, he could only squeeze as much knowledge into those kindergartners as they could retain through their knowledge, which would be limited. And so I said, that's kind of like how we interact with God. But it's, it's up to us. And so we can kind of trade in our straw for, for a larger PVC pipe. And, and I had Tyler throwing scripture verses through here, kind of like a blow dart. And then, and then as you grow more and more in love with God and you realize all the things that he does for us, uh, that, that our knowledge of him increases. And then we got to that point where uh, we were taking this thing that my, that my uh, kids kind of crawl through and we said wouldn't we want to if it's up to us keep exchanging in our levels keep graduating see we we understand it in the world where we say yeah we go we go through and we graduate from high school and then we choose to potentially go to college and we get a certificate and there's a it's kind of a ladder that you that you walk up and so we understand that in the educational world uh, but i i would say that it's it's the same uh, also in the spiritual world so that's just a recap those were kind of the presence that had bible verses in it and you remember as we were running out of time tyler as god was shoving shoving gifts to us and we were realizing man this is what you do for us. This is how much you love us. And so our knowledge of him increased. And then that gave us everything that we needed for life and godliness. So, um, and I said this, you can write this down if you didn't last week. God has chosen to limit himself and his power. And so an infinite being is choosing to limit himself. And whenever that happens, you have to take note of that because there's a reason why a limitless being would choose to limit himself and then I said, as our knowledge of him increases, we gain unlimited access to everything we need for life and godliness. So our aim as young Christians, whether we're going on the mission field or not, is to increase our knowledge of him so that we understand him more, so that he can give to us more of everything that we need for life and godliness, so that we can then turn around and gift other people with that also, so, so that we have a better understanding Okay, tell me as I read these four names, we're going to get started for what we have this week, if, if anybody's ever heard of these four names before. These are four men who changed the course of history in America as we know it, uh, but yet are not very widely known. Franklin McCain, Joseph McNeil, Azel Blair Jr., and David Richmond. Anybody? Got it. A couple, two people. Anybody else? Three people. Okay. So there's four, four people that radically changed the way that you and I interact with life here in America on a daily basis. Things are radically different today because of these four men's actions. You know, these four men in the most crucial point in life said nothing. It was more of what they did 
and more of how they did it than what they said. And so as we talk about witnessing and sharing the gospel with people, I want, I want you to think of it in that context. But it was, it was this month in 1960 that these four college students decided to do something that would forever alter history as they knew it and then also as we would know it. They were, they were going to college in North Carolina. They uh, went to North Carolina Agriculture and Technical College kind of a no-name school, maybe not, not necessarily the biggest school around, especially in that day. It wasn't, it wasn't Harvard students or, um, or anything like that. They weren't very well known. And as a matter of fact, these four men were actually spurred on by women. See, because if you rewind back to 1959, it was kind of October, November, December, that there were, there were a couple of women that were sitting around in their college dorm of Bennett College of Women, also in North Carolina, and they, sa- they decided that they were sick of what was happening in the world and they were going to do something about it. And so they brought their idea to the attention of a couple more people and they decided, okay, let's hold off and we'll wait for after Christmas break until we do what we're going to do. And then when they got around to doing it, these four men, Franklin, Joseph, Azel, and David, they decided they were going to be the ones to take upon themselves to make this happen. And so one morning, it happened to be February 1st, 1960, they walked into Woolworths. And they walked in and they sat at a counter because Woolworths was kind of like a Walmart back then, except it would be like a Walmart with a deli counter. So maybe a Walmart with a Denny's attached to it. Uh, Walgreens was also the same back then. It wasn't just kind of a pharmacy of overpriced goods and, and shots and different things like that, passport photos. You would actually walk into Walgreens and get served at a counter. You'd sit at a stool and order a milkshake or a hamburger or something like that. And the same with Woolworths. And so these four men walked in and they sat at the counter and they asked to be served. The massive problem that they had as you would guess, is that all four of them were African-American. And so they sat at that counter at Woolworths, and the management and the staff refused to serve them. And so they sat, and they brought out their homework books, and, and did their studies, and they sat, and they sat peacefully, and they didn't get served. All day, from opening until closing, they sat and didn't get served. They came back the next day, sat at the same four stools, asked to be served, didn't get served. And so they sat and they sat peacefully without saying a word. And it was about that second or third day that the world began to take notice. Greensboro, the city in North Carolina where they were, started kind of their local news. They caught wind of it. The newspaper came. And, and then as the days turned into weeks, more, or, more and more attention came upon them nationally and and, and the world started to take note. And these four guys kept showing up. And, and it became brutal at times. The Ku Klux Klan uh, sent members out there. And they were harassing them, calling them all sorts of names that you could only imagine. And these four men just sat and sat. Well, that spawned sit-ins is what they called it. All throughout Greensboro and then into the surrounding states and into... Uh, the majority of the rest of the country, people caught wind of this and started to do it. And this, this happened and continued to happen into the summertime. And then as the college students of those schools 
began to go home for, for the summer, the high school students began to sit in those same stools and keep conducting those sit-ins. And so throughout harassment, throughout everything, they never swung a punch. They never used a curse word. They just sat there and did what they felt like this was our plan. And I'm as much of a person as any of you guys. But they just sat there. And then what happened? Well, Woolworths was in big trouble. Woolworths had to actually shut down that store. And they, they lost business for a series of weeks just because they thought this is going to get out of control. All of a sudden you have KKK members. You have a more radical members of the African-American uh, society that, was, that they, were, they were being some heated discussions and a lot of pushing and shoving and national media attention out on the sidewalks and in the street. And so Woolworths decided what they were going to do was to shut down. And that's when it kind of overflowed into Walgreens and into different places. And, and you could just imagine the different public places around the country where blacks, as they were referred to, were not allowed. And they started showing up and, and composing these sit-ins. Well, these four men, Franklin, Joseph, Azel, and David, for their hard work, they didn't receive much in return. There were only three people in this room of a couple hundred that even know their names, knew who they were, had any idea who they were. So it's not like history has remembered them fondly or even well, but this is what happened. Six months from them deciding to sit at, that, at, at those stools, Woolworths, a major corporation back then, it would, it would have been honestly kind of like the Walmart of today, they decided to desegregate. So it took six months, but then all of a sudden... They were welcomed as African-Americans to participate in, in purchasing items at that store and being served at the counter. And then it wasn't but until four years later that Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act that was presented first by JFK before he died. And Martin Luther King Jr. was in attendance at that. And so we hear about Martin Luther King Jr., but we don't hear about these four guys but I, I, I'm here to say that these four guys maybe changed the world just as much as Martin Luther King Jr. So four years from four college students sitting in a room, and all of us have had those conversations of, man, wouldn't it be great if we could just do this? Or what if we invented that? Or what if the world was more like that? And these four guys had the guts enough to do it. And before that, it was maybe even an idea in the mind of one African-American female that changed the world. One idea turned into one action, which turned into one of the greatest acts that was written into our history, the Civil Rights Act. So, so I say that to say there's a lot of different ways that we can be a witness, and there's a lot of different ways that we can ch- try to change the world. Um, and, and some of us are going to lean differently on on kind of the our character and the way that we go about things the way that god made us and so we're going to talk about that um and so there's there's a few ways that that christians witness and some of these they're funny and i don't mean for them to be funny but they just they just kind of are um not me and so i guess that's i guess that's funny but i haven't seen any of you guys doing these things either so i guess they'll probably be funny there's the uh how how christians witness okay uh, think about this. There's the guy that at the football games, if you're watching on TV and they kick the extra point or the field goal, there's always the guy behind the field goal post that's like, 
John 3.16. You know, not like it's good, but it's like, it's really good. John 3.16. And he's holding up that sign, hoping that somebody in the mass of millions that are watching that game are seeing a sign that says John 3.16. What in the world does that mean? And then they maybe Google that and get, for God so loved the world. And and understands that way. That that's one way. That's one way to be a witness. The other way is to be a soapbox preacher, stand up on something like this, and just say, you know, hey, I want you. You guys need to repent and all this. And you and you see people doing that. Maybe not. Maybe not in Colorado Springs, but you see people doing that. If you go to Hyde Park in London every Sunday afternoon. There's what's called kind of a, speak, a speaker's corner, and you can come and you can talk about anything, and they kind of take turns, and it's peaceful, and it's it's very funny uh, about what people do. But but we grew up in Colorado Springs, so it's, you don't get to see that. But that'll stretch your faith because you walk past somebody like that, and you'll say, "Man, that takes it takes a lot of guts to go like on the 16th Street Mall up in Denver and just." put a box there and maybe a megaphone, maybe just a loud voice and just start shouting about what you believe. Good or bad, the guy's doing something, right? Maybe more bad than good, but I, I don't know. So, um, and then there's the, there's the other guy and I, I debated whether or not I could, I could convince one of you guys to do this, like as everybody's getting bagels, to walk in with like the sandwich board uh, on both sides that just says like the end is near repent now you know something like that wouldn't that be awesome to have somebody just like walking around there uh, while, while you're getting bagels and everybody's like get away from me so uh, but that's the end is near sign guy and then uh, there's there's um, the uh, the Christian bumper stickers and the Christian fish uh, on the back of your car um, I, it's so funny. The last time I went up, I think uh, it was last. It was last week. Super Bowl was last week, right? I drove up to Denver to my family's house, and um, and there was a guy in the in the left lane going up the Monument Hill there, uh, just going like forty miles an hour. And I was like, dude. And so I honked. And I, at first, I like flashed my lights, like, all right, come on. So and then I and then I honked, and it was like he just. You know, he's just loving life. I don't know what he was doing in the left lane at 40 miles an hour. But so, so he finally, after a few minutes, legitimately, I had a line of cars behind me. He moved over. And so as he moved over, I, I like honked again and just looked out. I didn't, I didn't do anything bad. I just honked. <laughs> but uh, my wife, uh, Emily, she was like, he understands. <laughs> I was like, I'm just proving a point. <laughs> and so um, so I, I say that to say I, I don't... I don't know that I could have a Christian fish on the back of my car. Cause, but but I, I do think that if Jesus drove, I don't think he would be afraid to use his horn. Okay, okay, just, just real quick, just real quick. Okay, I just, I just need to do this. This is totally informal and totally rabbit trail, and I'm going to get so far behind. All right, get on the soapbox. Okay, okay, is using your horn in a non-emergency like, situation offensive. Raise your hand if you think it's offensive. Ooh. How brutal. Okay, so I just lost all credibility with a few of you guys. Um, okay, but seriously, seriously, maybe, maybe I'll come back with a message that said, if Jesus drove, he wouldn't have been afraid to use his horn. So, um, okay, so anyways, that's bumper stickers and fish on their car. 
Uh, and then there's the Christian t-shirt guy. Uh, everywhere I go, I'm going to wear a uh, Christian t-shirt uh, just, just so that I might win one person or they're just the coolest thing that I own. Um, and, then, and then there's all, those of us who think, oh, we're being a witness by buying something at the store uh, uh, in December and saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. And so um, we kind of justify, oh yeah, that's a little bit of, of, uh, of a witness uh, just by saying Merry Christmas. Um, then those, uh, there's those of us that are the love and acceptance people who um, you know, we just, if we just love them enough and accept them enough, then, uh, then someday they'll eventually, uh, get it. And then there's, there's the awkward conversation guy. Uh, it, they, they just don't have any like radar on them of like, okay, if I walked up to this complete stranger and, and told them that they're going to hell or that they need Jesus or that they need the Bible, that, that could be awkward. And so that's the awkward conversation guy. And then the friendship evangelism. I'm going to kick the soccer ball. I'm going to throw the football. I'm going to throw the Frisbee. I'm going to um, invite these people uh, to sit down and share a meal with us or whatever. The friendship evangelism. I'm going to build up friendship before I try to evangelize. Uh, and then St. Francis of Assisi is credited with this quote, which uh, I would say the majority of you guys have heard before. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Um, and I so wish he never would have said that because I think that gives us uh, a huge excuse to not witness to people. Because we think, oh, I'm living it, I'm living it, I'm living it. And then the non-Christians in our lives are like, yeah, you're a good person, but we never tell them about New Life Church. We never tell them about Sunday school. We never tell them about uh, the Lord Jesus. Um, but um, and then there's probably the one that uh, you could you could go and get uh, some of these down at Family Christian Bookstore. You could uh, get these; uh, they're available today. They are the Christian tracks. Uh, they're the things that. Uh, amazing Christian tippers leave on the table instead of a tip. They they leave like the Christian track um, instead of any money, um, and or they just throw them on the ground. They they leave them places. They put them in on people's car like the windshield wipers. The Christian tracks that kind of like tell the story. Uh, those get weird quick. Um, there's actually a million dollar bill tracked. And um, and so you put that, you leave that somewhere, like you put it in the mall, and then in your junior high youth group, you you run around the corner and see if somebody will pick up the million dollar bill track, and and watch them, something like that. I don't know what I don't know what the reason was for that, but in 2006, uh, no lie, uh, a woman actually picked up a million dollar bill tracked, and took it directly to her bank, <laughs> and tried to deposit it. <laughs> so the Secret Service. Uh, they were pretty upset about that, and they actually confiscated all of the remaining million-dollar tracks from the people who produced those things. Uh, Kirk Cameron actually works for that company. He found he founded that company. So uh, that was in 2006. He was uh, in he was in big trouble. So those are all kind of different ways. I'm sure that you guys could could think of uh, a handful of of other things, ideas, ways that you guys have witnessed things that have worked, things that have not worked. Um, things that have been taking place on missions or, um, or things that have happened just in your everyday routine. Um, I, I, I do know this. When there's an opportunity, you'll know it inside. 
you'll get just a little bit nervous because I think, I think the Holy Spirit inside of you wants to, at that moment, leap out of your being and give that person, whoever it is, whether it be somebody in high society or low society, somebody that is attractive or somebody that's unattractive, somebody that's in, in the worst rut of their life or somebody that seems like, hey, I, I've got everything going great. I don't need a Jesus. But I think, I think the Holy Spirit inside of you wants to leap out of you and give that person a hug and welcome them into a love that they've never, ever known. And so when you walk into that place, know that... The Spirit of God inside of you will give to you exactly what you need to say. But we are going to run through uh, a couple of things here that, that will serve as tools um, as, as you do this. So um, there, I've kind of broken this down. I think of all of those ways that Christians witness, um, I, think, I think that they all, I think all of us fall into probably four categories. There might be a couple more that I haven't thought of, but... Uh, here are the four, and I think that all of us in this room will fit into one of these categories. You are either an intellectual witness, you are a, and these words can be changed, you guys can help me craft these, you, you are a, a talker witness, it's, it's easy for you to talk, I'm going to go through the pros and cons of each. Uh, you're a friendly witness, um, or you're a direct witness. So intellectual, talker, friendly or direct. Um, by intellectual, I mean, I mean this. This is, you know the Bible better than anybody you've ever met in your life. You just, you, you love putting things together scripture-wise, and you come as an intellectual prepared to witness, prepared to debate somebody, uh, prepared to get your point across. And so you're, the pro of being an intellectual is that you're well-prepared. The con might be that sometimes you come across as uncaring. You get, you get the facts right, but the person that you're witnessing to may walk away and feel like, wow, well, I totally understand. That makes sense. But if that's what being a Christian is like, I don't think I want that. Because that, that guy was a little bit uncaring. Uh, if you're a talker, it means that conversations are easy for you. You're an easy conversationalist. You can walk up to people. You have an ability to win others over. Um, you, you just have free-flowing conversations with, with people. Uh, the con might be that you have a desire for people to, to like you. And so, so you might get into these conversations, but you m- might walk them to kind of the edge of that decision or those, that conversation is really going to start diving into deep spiritual things. And then you back off because you think, well, I'll probably get a second chance. And I just met this person and it seemed like the conversation was going very, very well. But I, I want people to like me. So that might be a con. Uh, if you're a friendly witness, I, I mean it by this. You are a phenomenal listener. People will sit down with you, like going to Starbucks. You have, people, you have people asking you to go to Starbucks all the time because people love to tell you their story, what's happening in their life. You're an awesome listener. Um, but I think the, the con would be that you have a hard time directing that conversation, especially with your non-Christian friends, your non-Christian coworkers. You listen and you're opening that door, but you might have a hard time... Um, directing that conversation into something, uh, into a godly 
let's get this person, uh, let's, let's give Jesus Christ to this, to this person uh, because you want also to be liked and uh, it's easier for you to listen than to, than to talk. Um, and then the direct person. This person, the pro for this person is, is he or she is, is very bold and direct, right to the point. They can jump in and kind of breathe fire into a situation and say, man, I, I know what you need. Uh, very, very maybe prophetic. Uh, the Lord can, can maybe speak through you and say, this is what this person needs right now. Um, leans towards the intellectual side of things. Always has a verse. Um, and, but, the, but the con can also, ble- also be that maybe you're too blunt. So you get your point across, but it was like, wow, we were just having a great conversation and you walked into 10 of us and told one of them uh, that they needed to be saved. You know, that, that sort of a thing. Kind of the, 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 the garters on a, on a horse where he, the horse can't see right or left, just sees directly ahead. That, that's the direct witness. I, I know what needs to be done and so, uh, and so I'm going to do it. So um, does that make sense? You guys see each other, uh, yourselves in one of those four categories? Maybe, potentially? Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a tool here really quick. Um, that uh, it's, it's called the Romans Road. How many of you guys have heard of the Romans Road before? Okay, a good portion of you guys. I realize that this is something that even as a pastor, uh, nobody sat down with me when I was growing up in a church, in Christian schools, uh, my whole life. Nobody ever sat down with me and kind of gave me this tool. So if you guys are taking notes, uh, just jot down these verses. Um, if you're not, then, then I can give these to you if you guys email me or catch me afterwards. Um, there are eight verses in this. I don't think that there's necessarily a specific order. Uh, kind of when you throw out something like, oh, the Romans road, and you have to be specific. This is a witnessing, evangelizing tool. This is something that you guys will use overseas on missions. This is something you guys will use uh, in other conversations that you guys have. Uh, but don't feel like uh, this is a tool that you have to be trained on. You have to know exactly how to use it. Don't be intimidated by it. Because I think you can... You can uh, switch these verses around and make them work into the conversation that you have. Okay, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you, if you end up having a conversation, if you're on missions and one of the tasks for that day is to break up into smaller groups and go hut to hut or house to house, um, wherever you guys are at, this is something that you could put on a note card. You could highlight this in your Bible. This is one book of the Bible that you can go through all, the, all of these verses and end up leading somebody to the Lord. And so as you enter into these conversations or after a, after a crusade or after uh, a church service or something like that, if somebody, if somebody walks up to you and wants to have Jesus explain to them in more detail, then, then just simply walk them through this. So those two verses, 3.23 and 6.23 of Romans, it, it tells us that all of us are on the same level. All of us are, are, are sinful. We have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And then therefore this, the wages of sin is death. That makes you think differently next time you want to sin. If you take each one of your sins things that you may still struggle with, things that you used to struggle with, all of those things. And if you say, 
if you say, man, I can't live without this, or I can't, I can't make it another day without this, something, something that you know, hey, this is something that God's asked me to, to, to get removed from my life, you have to say, man, would I be willing to die for this? Because the wages of sin is death. And so that tells us that that all of us, all of us were sin, all of us were sinners, all of us were in need of of something because because of what we did gave us the sentence of death. But then Romans five eight is the next verse. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans ten nine. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, and then Romans ten thirteen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where we have gotten to this altar call, say a prayer, repeat after me type thing. That, that hasn't been since the first century church. There wasn't necessarily a repeat after me and you'll be saved. But this is kind of the, the verses that we get that from a little bit. That, that believing in Jesus, that if you confess him with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, and that's, that's the verse that we tell little kids, invite Jesus into your heart, right? And how many of us have done that? And we invite, we invite Jesus into our heart. We almost compartmentalize him. He becomes something that, that we can own. That this, little, this little Jesus, this little baby Jesus comes into our heart, Right? And, and so you see how easy we can walk away from that. But if you read these verses, and, and here's the deal, as we, as we go through this, and we've got to close out here in, in just a couple of minutes, but as we go through these verses, these verses are a tool to help us bring the gospel message to, to those that we interact with. But if you dwell on these verses... It just shouts amazing grace to me that we've all sinned, that the wages for what we've done was death. But then while we were yet sinners, in the depth, the darkest parts of our heart, the worst days of our life, Jesus looked down and said, I love him. I'll die for him. And all that he asks of us is this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That he really did take your place. And then Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, how many, how many Christians sometimes feel through different, different things that we go through that, that we're not at peace with God. That we've done things that maybe separate us from God. And we walk through this like roller coaster of you come to the mill and you worship and you, and you kind of feel like, man, I've connected with God again. And so that, that hangs with you for a couple of hours or a couple of days and then you stumble and you fall. Uh, you honk your horn twice. Um, and all of a sudden you feel like, man, maybe I've, maybe I've done something that now God doesn't like me. 
But Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And then Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now a little bit of condemnation for past sins, past failures, for the regrets that God looks at you and says, well, if you, if, if you wouldn't have done this, then I could have taken you here. If you wouldn't have struggled with this, then I could have elevated you to this place or I could have used you to save this person or I, I would have done this or that. But Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation. Not, not a drop of it, not a look at, of it, not, not a condemning, regretful glance your way, but a God that looks at you with zero condemnation. And then Romans 8 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So those verses, as we walk with somebody on the mission field or in our workplace or in our own family, when they ask you, when they ask you those questions of, I just don't know what God's doing in my life or I just don't know if I can accept a God who is this or who is that then you walk through that with them, but you have to have this level of ownership of it, this, this system of belief that you have inside of yourself that, that I can't teach somebody how to use a tool until I first use that tool myself, right? That I have to understand what it does and what it's done for me. Because if I'm going to sell you on, on a product that I bought then I'm going to be using it daily in my life. And so this screams to me, even in, my, even in my office as I was sitting here this morning, I thought, amazing grace. Just absolutely amazing grace that there's not one of us in this room that's above the other. There's not one of us in this room that's below the other. All of us were in need of a Savior, and it was when we were the most lost and the most lonely, and in the most desperate of situations, God saw us in the deepest, darkest part of our life and said, I choose him, I choose her, because I love them. A love that we can't even describe because it is so non-worldly. So, here's this, and I'll close with this. Psalm 50 verse 3 I don't have it I don't have it up and I don't have it in front of me but it basically is talking about it's talking about God that before him a fire rages and around him a tempest um something like that if somebody has Psalm 50 verse 3 if you want to shout it out to me but it, it it's an it's a psalm of Asaph and and Asaph uh was a choir in in David he was the director of the choir for David and Thank you, Justin. Um, it says this. Uh, let's see. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. I've, I've read that and I've thought, I thought, man, Asaph's life must have been busy. I know what you guys are feeling like being involved in a team, doing homework, schoolwork, going to class, 
uh, going to work, dealing with your family, all of these different things. And, and this tells me, man, maybe this guy who was involved in ministry, trying to do good, trying to lead his sons, leaving a legacy, trying to be a worship pastor, all of those things. But he describes God as something that is just a little bit crazy. But I think about the eye of the storm and how, and how in the, there's this calm in the eye of the storm. And I know that in ministry, in all the busyness of life, there is kind of this chaotic moment. But what we have to do is we have to remember to press in and take hold of him. Just like the woman with the issue of blood pressed in. Remember when they, Jesus and his disciples were going to go perform a miracle and there was a crowd following because they wanted to see a miracle take place and Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And Peter says, Lord, how can you say who touched me? People were getting trampled, bumping into Jesus. There, people were bumping into each other all over the place. And Jesus stopped and said, no, I know somebody touched me because power came out from me. And the woman with the issue of blood elbowed her way into the middle and, and fell down to her knees and said, Lord, it was me. And he said, you've been healed because of your faith. And here's the deal. We can come to Sunday school. We can go to church. We can go to the mill. We can go to team meetings. We can interact in small groups and on leadership teams. And we can be surrounded by godly people that are looking for the miraculous in this life. But if we forget to press in and take hold of Jesus, we can take, we can take Romans road. We can take all eight of these verses and use this as a tool. But if it's meaningless to us, just because it's part of the chaos of ministry... Around him a tempest rages. There's ministry happening all around. We can take it and we can put it in our tool belt. But if we don't press into Jesus, then we won't be able to truly minister to those that he brings across our path. Right? So my challenge this week to you is this. Press into Jesus. Read these eight verses over and over and over and over again and understand what it was that God did for us. And then just watch out of the overflow of a life that's filled with him. Watch how God chooses to use you in in your school, in your workplace, in your family. And then pray that God would use you. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we praise you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us breath and life. Jesus, more so, we thank you for doing the work that you've done in us, the work of salvation, the work of amazing grace. God, we stand in awe of you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. So God, let us be witnesses, whether it be us sitting at a stool counter and just being ourselves day after day after day or standing on a soapbox or doing our homework the best we can or doing the work that's put in front of us the best we can god or or by you giving us words of knowledge to speak into the lives of those people who are around us god use us we pray that you would be the all-consuming fire inside of us we love you and praise you in jesus name